Good morning, church family. I'm Les Stalker. I'm still your uh, interim executive director for church operations. And I want to thank Carol Norris, who is here uh, in this service for this morning, retrieving my glasses from the shuttle bus so we could have a reading of the scripture. <laughs> Our scripture reading today is, is selected from 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9, and you're already standing, so let's read the word of God. Now about the collection for the, uh, for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go, also they will accompany me. And now 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, let's stay up here for just a few moments. I want to tell you a little bit more about Les. Not only are you the interim, a long <laughs> uh, interim, executive director of operations here, but Les and his wife, Pam, sitting right down here on the third row, have been, how long have you been coming to the church? Mm, 26 or 7 years. Yes, yeah, since Pam was three. <laughs> girl, yeah. Um, and, and he's a part of the wonderful uh, uh, disciples class here. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad we have some of the disciples folks here as well. Uh, Les, uh, and, and not only has he done this, you need to know about him too, that for 20 years he was the president of the Braille Institute, which has such a remarkable ministry and work throughout the world. So Les, we're just so blessed to have you. And you. as I tell you personally, and I'll tell the whole church, I love serving with you. you. One of the things you and I have talked about a lot is how this matter of financial giving, which is often awkward for a church, should just be a part of our walking with Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a part of what it means to follow him. And so if that's true, if it's part of our discipleship, then it seems it's important for us as a church to provide some help for our people and what that might look like. And so you and Emil and a few others have been putting some things together for us. Thank you. Um, yes, in fact, last year, in 2018, we uh, staged two different Saturday morning seminars, one on tax planning and one on wills and trusts. They were very well attended, and there was a great deal of response. It's the kind of thing that we all need reminders of. We need information. Um, so we've taken it the next step farther and we've created a new, we did, there it is, there it is. Uh, a new um, section that will show up, we hope, on March 17 on our website. 
When you go there on that day and beyond, and you go up in the, at the uh, title page, you go up to the upper right corner, there's a little button, green button for give, and there you will be able to enter in Stewardship Central. And in this particular area, you'll have page after page, not a whole lot, but uh, several gift types, such as bequests through wills and trusts, um, IRA gifts, uh, gifts through stock, uh, real estate, life insurance. These are different devices that have different ta tax implications and different opportunities for people to give and save taxes and take care of your family and do all of the things you need to do. So that's so, coming. And then we're hoping to have some more of those seminars coming right. up soon about we're, wills and trusts. We just haven't set the date yet, but hopefully in early May, we'll have an, uh, the first one of this year will be a Saturday morning on wills and trusts, and we'll have some more tax planning. And our hope is to set up a rhythm that this program goes on all through every year as we come along, and we will continue refreshing and renewing Stewardship Central to be an assistance to uh, all of us here and uh, help point us to the direction where we can get the professional help we need and some thinking on uh, what we can do to be better stewards of what God has given each of us. And then we're also hoping that for those who have, feel like you have absolutely nothing <laughs> and, and need to learn to handle those funds better, that we'll be able to provide some training oh, and yes. help with that as yes. well. So thank you, Les. Yes, thank you. Yes, so, well, don't leave yet because, uh, because you know what the topic is today. It's probably not the most popular topic. Uh, when you come in, you, you probably didn't think, I hope Pastor Greg is speaking about financial giving today. It's usually people get a little bit fidgety. Even pastors sometimes don't want to talk about it. And yet at the same time, I'll tell you, when you read the Bible, when you think about what it means to follow Jesus, one of the basic things that Jesus should change about our lives is the way we view those temporary things, whether it's time, use of time, or, or talents, or here this, this morning, uh, treasures. Uh, I know why people get fidgety about it, because sometimes, and you've talked to me about this the last couple of weeks, sometimes you say, Pastor Greg, I don't have any money here at all. In, in fact, I have debts. How can I give when I don't have anything to give? And I'll get to that later, but I really understand that. And I also know how personal the topic is for many people. And I also know there are always these deep concerns that when money is given, that it is actually used in the way it's given. So we're praying that we'll be a good place for that. But I feel that if that's true, that our, the use of material resources is a part of our following Jesus, then I think it's very important for me as your senior pastor to take some time and let you see what the Bible actually says about that. And the texts that we come to that uh, Les read for us today, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are some of the very best places in the Bible to get that basic instruction about the use of material things. Now, we've already had two messages, haven't we? Uh, my first message, I said, is, was a picture of what it means to give to the Lord, and I, uh, the picture I took us to were these poor churches in Macedonia. Do you remember that? and how they weren't even asked to give, and then they said, please let us give, and just the whole way that a follower of Jesus wants to give. You sing that song, there's salvation in your name. You know, you, you've broken every chain, just evokes sort of a gratitude for whether you have much or whether you have little. Last week, Pastor Chuck brought what I felt was just an insightful message that we called a perspective. So we had uh, the picture, the perspective. He used two words, uh, one of them desire, 
that when we know what God has given to us, there becomes a desire to give to his church, to his work. And the other one was equality. And that is this idea that when we come into a church family and some have and others are really, really hurting, then what we need to do is we step in together with what God has provided to meet those needs. Well, today I'm going to come back and try to boil it all down into what I'm calling the practice of this. And in doing so, I've boiled down all these P's that we have picture and perspective and practice into practical principles for generous and joy-filled stewardship. I've boiled down, and each one of the things I want to talk to you about starts with P. You can find them on your worship folder if you look very carefully, but I'll talk to you about them here. The first is the word pattern. Pattern. Uh, Develop a way of life of giving a way of life of giving uh, that is consistent with the way of life that Jesus lived his life. And, and that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You know, and he's talking there, to, there about giving, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his giving was an act of grace, not earned by us, but simply out of his love for us. Now you've got to think about it this way. When you become a Christian, what Jesus talked about doing Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, is that we repent of our past sins and we turn and believe in Jesus. Now, that isn't just a one-time thing that stops. That starts a whole new life. And the phrase that Jesus used repeatedly for that life is, follow me, follow me. Now, if you get that picture, when you're following somebody and you've been going this way, it changes every part of your life. And one of the parts that I want to tell you is you just view uh, money and anything that is temporary in this world in a completely different way. The way you and I use our financial resources is a part of the new way of life that comes when we follow Jesus. What does it look like? Well, I think that there is a pattern to this that we see in 1 and 2 Corinthians. It starts with an intentional commitment of all I am and all I have, really, I think, on a daily basis to the Lord. Those poor Macedonians, you remember, that's exactly what they did. So we have this phrase in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 and 5. In the midst of their extreme poverty, these Macedonian churches, look how their pattern of giving started. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's that's what I would encourage you to do as well to take time to do exactly what we've done today. Remember how much Jesus gave to us. He gave his life. And now, he giving that to us for our eternal salvation, we turn to him and say, here is my life. I give it to you. When you think about that, what Jesus has given for you, then pray something like this. Lord, you have given me all that I have, including my eternal future. So today, give me wisdom to know how I can give of what you've entrusted to me. Um, Henri Nguyen has written a wonderful book. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And in it, he has this beautiful phrase that's called the discipline of gratitude. The discipline of gratitude. In other words, actually taking time to discipline ourselves to stop and to think how much we have to be grateful for. I'll just show you one little part of what he wrote. I, I really appreciate this. He wrote, take care never to forget that all we have is a gracious gift from God, undeserved and unearned. 
that we never forget that God is the source of every good and perfect gift, and those gifts are to be used for His glory and the extension of His kingdom, that we never forget that with blessing comes responsibility, the obligation of faithful obedience. Do you see what he's getting at when he writes this? A whole pattern of life that starts being grateful for what God has given us so that we pour out our lives to him. When we do that, then we stop and say, Lord, how would you give, how would you have me give to your work and to your church? Now, how can we develop that sort of a pattern if we begin as they did, pouring ourselves out to the Lord? Well, I think in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, the Apostle Paul gives us a good piece of advice. He said, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. And, and he said, that's what they do in the Galatians churches, that's what you should do as well. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside some money so that you can give that to the Lord's work. Now, I know this. Here in Southern California, not every one of you has come to church today. Not every one of you can develop that sort of pattern, that sort of rhythm in giving, that on the first day of the week you can give something because so many of you have jobs where the income is irregular, like a real estate agents, uh, like musicians. Often your gigs come at different times, like, like uh, actors or people making it in the entertainment industry. Perhaps it's hard to find a way to set aside a time regularly, but I think even there, there may be ways that you can set aside a, a rhythm of giving, that maybe as those uh, matters of income come in, then immediately the first thing you do is set aside a portion for that. I'll tell you, I, I think this is an important piece of this, uh, this developing of a pattern, of, of a habit, because we become so forgetful, don't we? You and I need those kind of patterns in every part of our walks with Jesus, in our prayer lives, don't you feel like you need that, to have a time and a place you meet with him? in our personal devotional lives. And here I think the Bible is saying we also need that in this matter of our giving. The point is that that sort of pattern encourages faithfulness. I'll tell you what else it does. It, it enables your church to plan for ministry. And I'm, I'm hoping that sort of thing, if we all develop it more and more, that it will sort of mitigate these things that sometimes feel like unending appeals and begging letters. Uh, notice in chapter 16, verse 4, he has a so that. Set aside each one of you, set aside a sum of money each week, so that when I come, Paul said, no appeals will have to be made. I, tell, I like that. I think if, if we do this, maybe I won't have to write my two times a year letter at the end of the fiscal year and the end of the calendar year saying, remember, remember, remember to give. I, maybe I, we could, don't even have to do that. And... As I mentioned two weeks ago, this sort of regular pattern of giving can become such a powerful testimony to your friends, to your children, to your grandchildren of how real and genuine your experience of Jesus really is, that it changes every part of your life, including your giving. Because I, I'm convinced of this, when people see that God has touched your pocketbook, they will know that he has touched your heart. Just mark it down pattern. Second word, prioritized giving. Give first to and through your local church family, then give as God prompts. Notice 2 Corinthians 9-11. 
Be generous on every occasion, he said. And then through us, and that's talking about the church and Paul as their founding pastor, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, you've got to tune in here. There is a theological truth that undergirds this teaching that really permeates the New Testament. And if you don't grasp it, you'll miss this point that the Bible makes. And that theological truth is this. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are brought into a relationship with God as your father. Amen? A weak amen right there. Because you know something else is coming. But not only that, you're not the only one. You and I come into a relationship with God as our Father, but also we come into a relationship with people, other people who know Jesus. We become one another's brothers and sisters. Now, I'll tell you, in any good family, when a brother or sister is hurting or lacking in any way, the rest of the family should step in. I know that doesn't always happen, but it should happen. And what Paul is saying is this should happen in the family of God. What plays out here in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians and many of the other texts in the New Testament is there were a group of the brothers and sisters in the very first church there in Jerusalem. They had gone through some hard times because of some earthquakes that had hit and famine that had hit. The church people had nothing. But that by that time, there were other churches founded out of that church, the original church. And when, when they heard that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were hurting, they wanted to participate so Paul was one of those who helped people to do that. Now, some of the poorer churches, like in Macedonia, he didn't even ask them, but they heard about it. <laughs> and they came and begged him for the opportunity to be a part of it. And isn't that the way it is for us? They felt, well, I, we've got some brothers and sisters who have nothing. We've been there. So what we have, we want to give to it. And I'll tell you, um, when you think you and I are a part of a global church family, this is what and I've preached about this before. This is what leads me to have such a deep concern when I hear about our brothers and sisters in places where our, they're being persecuted. So many of you talk to me about that. Sometimes those, our brothers and sisters in, in Egypt or in, in Syria or in so many parts of the world, we, we must pray for them and there where we have opportunity. Try to reach out with the balm of Jesus because there are brothers and sisters. Do you see that? And the same thing applies to a local church setting. When we find out that we have brothers and sisters within our local church who are really going through a tough time, we have this great privilege of, of stepping in and, and caring for one another as a good family does. Now, when I say that, you know as well as I do that the needs out there in our global church family are so enormous that we as one church can't meet them all. And even the needs within our own local church are, are enormous too. How do we actually prioritize where the giving should go and how we will meet it? And that's why a local church with its leadership, its pastors, and your elected leaders need to set aside time to ask the Lord, where are the places? Where are the places that we must reach out in the name of Jesus and give priority to those things that the Spirit of God puts on our hearts? And we do that. And, and I've asked our team to, to reevaluate what those priorities are. So when you give to your church family, one of the things I would encourage you to do is to start here and see what God does through those, those priorities. Notice again how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Through us, your generosity is then going to result in thanksgiving to God. Because people will see a church family where people actually care for one another. 
So based upon this teaching and so much others that we find both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's that local church family that should be the first focus of your financial giving. So like the Macedonians, first commit yourself to the Lord and then say, I want to give, Lord, as you would have me to give. And then I think the first focus should come to the, to the church family. But listen carefully when I say that. When I say give to the local church family first, I do not mean that there's no place for you to give to other ministries or to other individuals that we haven't prioritized, that go beyond the priorities we've set as, as one local church. But I'll tell you, I think the first place should be to your local church. It might be that you give more to the other places, depending upon the this, this situation. But I think those are kind of second, the second thought about giving after committing yourselves to the Lord. And so it should be prioritized. So we have pattern, prioritized giving, and then number three, proportionate giving. So give generously, but always in keeping with God's provision. And, and he says this often, but I'll just show you that place in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 8. Give according to your means. And if you miss it there, you can see the same thing back in 1 Corinthians 16.2. Set aside a sum of money, and then he adds this phrase so that we don't miss it, in keeping with your income. And if you miss that, you come back over to chapter 8, verse 12. Your gift is acceptable according to what you have, not to what you don't have. Just makes sense. Now, if you've been a long-time churchgoer, you know that in many, many churches throughout the history of the church, uh, throughout the world right now, this kind of proportionate giving has been done through what we call tithing, where we set aside a 10% 10, 10 of what God has entrusted and make that back available. To the, to the work of God, and that does, in general, allow for proportionate giving because if, you know math, if I make less and I give 10% and you make more and you give 10%, you see proportionate giving that happens there. I'll tell you, when I just mentioned this two weeks ago, I had people come up and say, Pastor Greg, should that be on the gross or the net? And I, I can't find a Bible verse about that, but, but this is not a law or a rule. It is a relationship. We're looking for a way to, for God to direct us. Though some people came through and they said, well, if people ask you the, again, that Pastor Greg, just ask him, do you want gross or net blessings for your giving? So, <laughs> so I'll pass, pass that on. I'll, my sermons keep adding stuff after I've done it once. But you can read, if you don't know much about this, you can read about tithing in Old Testament passages like Leviticus 27, verses 30 and following, and Malachi 3. When you come to the New Testament, you find these new Christians seeming to feel that 10% was too little. So you have these stories where some people just sold everything and gave it to the church. That never worked out very well in the long run. Let, let me just tell you that. And that might be one of the reasons why that Jerusalem church where they did that, when the famine hit, they didn't have anything to provide for them. So that later on, this matter of 10%, like in the Old Testament, became more and more the pattern. In my opinion, that tithe is, is best used not as a rule, but a guideline to your giving. And it might be you're able to do so much more. I know this too. For people who are newer to church and you hear the preacher talking about this, don't you find this overwhelming? Um, wait a minute. How, I'm hardly making it now to set aside the first thing, uh, a, a tenth of this. I can only tell you this, that for those who engage in this almost unanimously, they, they report, they give witness 
to the tremendous joy and blessing and practicality of the discipline of tithing. And I want to add this too. Sometime you may find yourself in a situation, you might be in this right now, where it's not only true that you have few financial resources, but it might be that your debts are greater than the resources that you have. And you might know that the book of Proverbs tells you to first, as much as you can, meet those debts before doing anything else. What do you do about that? Well, I've had three people in the last two weeks come and talk to me about that. <laughs> and I boiled what they said to me down into one person so you can't identify who they are, but it was the same general thing. After Pastor Chuck and I had spoken, we had some folks come, and let me see if I can find those. Yes, this is essentially what people said. These messages about giving have touched me very deeply. But right now, at best, I can only give something like, like the widow's might. Do you know that story? I'll tell you in just a minute. But as Pastor Chuck said last Sunday, I find in myself a deep desire to give. Pastor Greg, do you think the Lord would be pleased if in this season, where I am where I am, my giving would be largely be my service, my service to the family? What would you have said? You don't have to yell it out. I just said, yes, absolutely yes. That may be what God has entrusted you to give at this time of your life, which led me to go to our pastors and to our, uh, some of our leaders in the church and say, where, if a person wants to, to say, I want to give, but I, can't, I don't have anything to give, where might they give to get the biggest bang for their buck, I mean, the service buck here in the church? And even though there are many places you can find to serve here at Lake, uh, the one thing everybody mentioned first is service to the discipleship of our children and our students is the places where we have the greatest opportunities right now. So I asked him, I said, will you put a table up? So if you walk through the middle door, just to the left of the table, you'll find someone there who will talk to you. And not everybody teaches, and it might be for a shorter period of time, but I hope that you will go and talk with folks there. We'll have people there to talk about it. Again, let me say even those who have very little can often find a way to give something. The Macedonians did. And that woman of the wit, that widow in Luke 21, 1 to 3 is one I've always loved. I'll, I'll read it to you. So Jesus was there in Jerusalem. He was looking at people going into the temple and it says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And then he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites which was their smallest coin, it's like two pennies. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Doesn't that show you the heart of Jesus? That's the heart I want us to have as well. So I hope the point is clear. We should give generously and sacrificially, but always in ways proportionate to what God has entrusted to us. That brings me to the fourth P, perceptive. Be wise about how the gift that you bring is used and distributed. This permeates this passage, but in 2 Corinthians 8, 20 to 21, Paul said, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this generous gift. So the Bible consistently teaches us that though we should be generous givers, we should also be wise givers. Because you know, so many times you can give to something, then you find out it wasn't used the way that it was given. 
So it should be the beauty of, of giving to your local church. Churches err too. I, I know this, and I can give you lots of examples. But there's something beautiful about it because even when you sense that God might not be using what you're giving in the ways that we have said we are, you can speak into that. As you walk through the door, Pastor Greg, I don't think we're using those funds well. It's one of the beauties of a local church. We can hold one another accountable. And in this particular situation where they were giving to another church, Paul set up all these checks and balances so the money would really get to where it's supposed to be. He says, now make sure that it's not sent alone. Make sure there are trustworthy people that you can have to send this gift. And if it's okay, I'll go too. Why, why did they do this? Why did he encourage this? Because Paul was dishonest? Well, some of them might have thought that he was. But I'll tell you why, and I think you know it too that the place where the world, whether they know Christ or not, the world looks at a church and says, do they do things right? Are they, is often right at the, how they spend the money. And if we don't do it in a way that honors God, it's something that rightly brings criticism. So Paul's word in 2 Corinthians 8, 21, or words to the wise, I'll show it to you. Paul said, we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in the eyes of people. And I'll just tell you, that phrase expresses my heart as well. I want anybody to be able to look at how funds are used here at Lake, and, and God will be glorified and not his name defamed. So I think being perceptive is important. And finally, purposeful. Be guided in your giving by careful and prayerful consideration. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That phrase, decided in your heart, is a very, very careful word. It's one of careful deliberation. In other words, the good kind of financial stewardship that the Bible talks about isn't just sort of an, you know, an instinctive sort of thing that it's a plate goes, oh, oh I feel guilty, I'll throw, a, I'll throw a bill in there. It's also not one that just whenever someone comes up and has a very emotional appeal, somehow you just respond without even thinking or praying about it. It's the careful deliberation. You take the time, you commit yourself to the Lord first, and then you take the time prayerfully, Father, to say, what I have is yours, so Father, I want it to honor your name. Give me wisdom. Why do we need that? Because we need wisdom to live every part of our lives, amen? We need God's wisdom to direct us. And I'll tell you, one of the gifts most of us have as human beings is we know how to squander financial resources. Can, can I have a witness here? I do, once again, I always, I'm wanting you always to respond. You know that's true. So the wise follower of Jesus takes time to surrender to Jesus and then praying con, considerately in our hearts how God would use what he's entrusted to us to be stewarded. And once we have, I'll tell you what we should do. And you can read the rest of this text and you'll see what he says. Give. Give willingly. Give generously. Give joyously. Don't feel under compulsion. And then just wait and see how God will use what you've entrusted to his care. I'll tell you, good, good stewardship, Christian or non-Christian, is taking what doesn't last to bring about something that lasts longer. Jesus tells a parable about that, about an unjust steward who gave up his money so he could make some friends who'd support him when he had nothing. <laughs> he 
He said, he's smarter than we are because we Christians can be the ultimate stewards. We know we can give things that are never going to last to bring about what lasts eternally, the salvations of people's souls, the, the care for people made in God's image. We saw it last week in our services. If you weren't here, it was so powerful for me. Uh, 42 years ago, we sent out a young couple to a, a largely unreached people group in Kenya, and they were back with us. Maybe they weren't quite as young when they came back with us as when they left 42 years later. But Malcolm and Barbara Collins, they went to this people group in Kenya, and they started giving witness to Jesus, and they started the translation of the scriptures. They weren't able to complete that, but they planted the seeds to have it to be completed, and after 42 years of ministry, they were back. And I don't know if you were here when we did it. In the first service, uh, Malcolm was so overwhelmed with the, the joy that he was weeping so much that he held up this book and could hardly even say what had happened. Afterwards, I spoke to him, and he said, Pastor Ray, you won't believe this, but when this book, these scriptures, when people read about Jesus in their own heart language, people are now coming to Jesus by faith because the Jesus they're reading about, they're reading about in their heart's language. And as he told me that, he wept, and, and I wept, and I hope as he held that up, we all rejoiced. You might say 42 years of a church giving to one couple and an unknown tribe at Kenya, that's businessmen, that, that is a poor ROI. At least it's a slow one, right? Return on investment. Is that, is that a bad ROI? I'll tell you. This is what it's all about. This is what brings joy to our hearts and glory to God. And I'll tell you, if we will learn to give, I think in these ways that the Bible teaches us to give. More and more of these kinds of stories will be told here at Lake Avenue Church. If we'll apply them to our giving and teach them to our children and to future generations, we're going to have so many stories of the powerful work of God through the life of this church. And maybe, by God's grace, your senior pastor will never have to send out another letter at the end of the fiscal or the calendar year. And I know this at least when we do this in keeping with God's word, it will bring joy to each of our hearts. And I'm telling you, it will bring glory to him. Amen. Amen. May it be. Amen. Oh. Let me lead us in prayer. So, Father, take this, your word, and every place I've been faithful to you, your word, use it in our hearts and apply it to our lives that our giving might become more and more like that of Jesus himself. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we seek to be those people that surrender, let's stand together and...